Welcome to Iro Live with host Bob Bay. I want people to experience success to be able to thrive as early as possible in recovery. However, the process of about learning about who God is, who we are, about life, about the way the world works, all this stuff is not something that can be just soaked in in a few hours. It takes time. I can give you X amount of information, and then I have to move on to the next part, and then the next part, and then the next part, and then we'll have to circle back around. And it's like going up a spiral staircase. We'll keep coming back to the same place, but we'll be a little bit higher. Actually, maybe I should say going the other way. We're going a little deeper. We're drilling down in it and getting deeper and deeper. We're at what would be the third step. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Would be the AA's version of it. It's all about beginning that relationship with God, right? If you, if you have not been in church culture, I'll say that church culture is turned into one form of living, that of following Christ, okay? And part of that culture has moved towards, and I'm not speaking bad, I'm not speaking ill of church culture. But it would seem that what has happened and what the concept of following God would be is you begin to believe in God and maybe you make a profession of faith. Maybe if you go to church, you would at the end, they would have what they would call an altar call or something. Maybe you raise your hand and they say, pray with me. And then you repeat after a prayer or something, or maybe that happens out on the street or something. But so then you, you say this prayer and then you're quote unquote saved. And then you just kind of like you go to church, you read the Bible when you need to. You uh, if you want God to be real happy with you, you'll give money at church. But then you just live the best life you can until you die. And then the, the bonus comes when you die. You go to heaven and not hell, right? That's kind of the culture and the mindset that people have come to today. But that is not what the Bible talks about. That's not the way it was planned. We started out talking about, in the very beginning, how God created us as beings in the garden. We talked about how he met our every need our need for significance, to know that we matter and that we're important, that he loves us where we're at, and he wants to walk us through life so that we thrive in life, not just survive. We learn that he wants to provide security to take care of us, not just our safety, but security in knowing that we matter as part of significance, to knowing that we're important our security in knowing that he's going to provide for us. This is all in the book of Genesis in chapter 2. That he's going to provide for us. He's going to, as it would say in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he's going to clothe us. He's going to feed us. He's going to take care of our needs, our natural needs that way. And then we were born with a need for socialization. And there's been studies done. Scientists 
clinicians or psychiatrists, whatever you want to say, they know that people are happier when they are in social situations. Now, you may be an introvert and may be thinking, no, I prefer to be by myself. I work, by my, I work alone. I'm by myself a lot, and I'm very happy with my company. Me and God, we get along great. I'm not talking about whether you're an introvert or extrovert and socialization. We all have a need for relationship. But so that's where it started in the book of Genesis. Now, it's no coincidence if you leave all the way through to the end. In Genesis, it starts in the first two chapters. You go all the way to the end, to the book of Revelations. In the last two chapters, in the book of Revelations, 21 and 22, it begins to describe what things are going to be like in the end, at the end. And the picture that is painted is the garden over the whole world. The world has been remade, redone. It's a beautiful place. In Genesis, the garden is God's habitation with man in the garden. And man was to subdue and have dominion over the world. In the end, in Revelation, God's habitation is in the new Jerusalem that comes down. And man has dominion over the nations, over the world. Everything is remade and beautiful. We go back to being eternal beings. It says that there's, no, there's not going to be sadness. There's not going to be suffering. It's back the way it was before the fall. That's how it ends. And that was how it began. But there's a lot of story in between, right? And we can see glimpses and we can see pictures as, we, as they go along. Like when the children of Israel left Egypt. Remember the story of Moses and the Ten Commandments? When they left and they go out into the wilderness and God takes care of them and provides for them and guides them. And he gives them a tabernacle, a place of dwelling of the presence of God. And if you look in that, and I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail, but if you look in it, it's full of things like carvings of fruit and trees. It has the picture of the garden just like it was in the beginning and like it'll be one day. Where we're at now at this point is, is okay, where do I fit into this? Where do I fit into this story? I'm not in the beginning and I'm not at the end. How do I fit into here? When Jesus came, he was born as a man, came to earth, God in the flesh, and we're going to learn more details about this as we go. But for today, I'll say he came as a man, got in the flesh with a plan, a plan to save mankind. But it's not like the, the saving that we talked about earlier is that our cultures kind of believe. What he did was he came to reestablish his kingdom on earth. He succeeded in that. He succeeded in reestablishing his kingdom. But you may say, but Bob, it doesn't really look like it from where I'm sitting. Remember I talked a couple of weeks ago, and maybe you weren't, if you weren't here, you'll have to look at the podcast and go back to it. We talked about the thing of that there is the natural world, and overlapping the natural world is the spiritual realm. 
So you have the natural realm and the spirit realm. Our bodies are our vehicle in the natural realm. This is how I get along down here. My body is moving around. My physical body. That's all of this stuff that you see here. Now, inside this body, there is my spirit. Remember we talked about spirit being. And there is also a soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. They're actually separate, but when you read the Bible, a lot of times they'll use it interchangeably because it's so close you can't hardly tell which is which. But so you have a brain, which is your hardware, but a mind, which is separate from those electrical impulses. The electrical impulses that are going on inside your head govern the chemical side of your body, the biological side. When things like adrenaline happen that trigger your fight or flight, you know, adrenaline goes to get you alert and ready to go. That happens in the physical realm. And we can process things in our brain. But listen, our emotions and our mind, how we think about that and what's going on inside us with, when that happens, that's in our soul. And as part of that, our spirit is the eternal being. Now, we talked before that after the fall, our spirit went into slumber, kind of like being in a coma. Couldn't dwell in the spirit realm. Our body is moving around our soul and our spirit in this realm. It's our vehicle. Think of it as a car. After the fall, when our spirit went into this coma, this, the separation part, our soul, our mind and our will and emotions were left to survive. The natural realm is all we can really work in now. The spiritual realm was cut off from us. But it's still there. You guys in, uh, I believe it's 2 Kings chapter 30 or maybe 16. I, I, I'm sorry, I should have looked it up, but I just, I'm just thinking when Elijah's helper comes out to him, they come out and he's like, he goes out to uh, look outside and he sees this vast army out there that have come to kill them. And he's like, dude, we're in trouble. And Elijah says, no, listen. And he prays and he says, God open his eyes so that, so that he can see. And God opens his eyes and sees into the spirit realm and sees that there's armies of angels around. You guys watch the Lord of the Rings? Remember when Frodo puts the ring on and he sees a whole different thing? It's that same thing. Things going on here that we can't see. Because they're happening in the spirit. And your soul doesn't know what to do with all of that. But your soul is connected with your spirit. And so when, when things are happening in the spirit realm that are maybe not necessarily so wonderful. And you walk into a room and things just don't feel right. And everything feels weird. And you get angry for whatever reason. And you can't understand it. And all of that. There may be something going on that you don't understand. I'm going to talk more about that another day. Because we have to be able to determine and, and how are we going to live life now? Because Jesus came and reestablished his kingdom in the spirit realm. When we receive him into our life and we begin that relationship, 
our spirit is woken up and we have reconnection into the spirit realm. Jesus establishes his kingdom in the spirit realm. And so he wants us to, the Bible says that we are to worship him in spirit and in truth. But this is the, the problem that we have. We have been living our lives based on our mind, our will, and our emotions driving our lives and making all the decisions for us for so long and our mind, our will, and our emotions do not want to surrender control of this vehicle because we've learned that if you get out of control, what ends up happening is, is your life careens off the road and you go over a cliff or something happens. Perception. So it tries to protect itself. But this is the, the crazy thing about it. Take addiction, for example. I was a meth addict and an alcoholic. And I did crazy. I didn't want to be that. I started out, I was just partying, just having fun, right? Woo! Just having fun. You know, you work hard all day, you come home, you want to have a few beers. You have a few beers, you want to party a little bit, do a little bit of meth, you know? Get a little bit too tweaking, so you smoke a little weed to kind of relax. And our soul has been making these decisions for so long and wants to control all of that. And it is learned that when you give up control, bad things happen. We talked about coping skills. Because of those coping skills we've learned and because of the things we have not learned, we don't know how to handle our emotions and what's going on inside of us. So when we start feeling the way we don't want to feel, we self-medicate. Or we get in a relationship we shouldn't be in. Or we decide, I know what will make me happy. If I had more money, I would be happy. Because then you could buy things, right? Buy some toys. Buy a boat. Side by side. Go bungee jumping. Parasailing. Do all of this stuff. That will make you really love life. Living on the edge. That's what will make me happy. You see what I'm saying? All those things go on inside of us. And that's what our soul does to keep from feeling our feelings and experiencing all of that. But when we're living being controlled by our soul, we can't be controlled by our spirit. We can't live in the spiritual realm. And so why is this a problem? Why is it a problem? I just want to live my life, have a good time. Why is this such a problem? Well, because Jesus' kingdom is established in the spirit realm. And if we want to stay connected to him, we have to dwell there. And his kingdom takes us back to the garden or forward to the garden. But it's the way it's established right now. Going back to step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over the care of God. Well, why do we want to do that? Well, because when we're walking in the garden, if I say we're walking in the garden, that's the same thing as living in the kingdom. But I, I want to give you the, the picture of us walking in the garden back in the beginning, before the fall. When we're walking in the garden, God supernaturally does things in our lives to bring about our provision. He'll give us the job we need. He'll give us the, the house 
the place to live, maybe a house, maybe you know, a houseboat, I don't know, wherever God wants you to live. He'll take care of you financially. He'll bring the people into your lives that are best suited for you to have a relationship with, that will build you up and not tear you down. He'll cause you to make decisions, not based on your emotions or your fear of your emotions. He'll cause you to make decisions because he knows what's going to happen in two weeks. I'm self-employed. I do remodeling. And so there was a time, a long time ago, where I would see, okay, I've got about three or four weeks worth of work left. And I don't have another job lined up. And then somebody would call me and say, yeah, can you come take a look at this? Well, I would go to look at this job. I would look it over and I would be thinking, I don't have any work lined up. I better come in at a really good price so that I'm sure to get this job because I don't want to be sitting at home in three weeks. And I don't know if another job is going to come along. So I would go through and I would figure out, well, okay, I think I can do it like this in this much time. And I would figure out this price and everything. And then I would come up with this end price and I'd be thinking whoo that's pretty high I don't know if they're going to go for that and I don't want to take the chance of somebody else coming in and underbidding me so I'll just plan on work I'll just work a little bit extra each day so I can get more work done so that I can be sure and get that job so I, I sell the job I'm all excited Woo! this job is going to take me four weeks and I'm going to be baby rich Listen to the last podcast and you'll understand what that means. But I get into it and I realize that this is going on in my life and that's going on in my life. So I don't have time to work these extra hours. And all of this other stuff goes on and this job doesn't go the way I planned. And so now I'm at four weeks when the job should have been over. And I look and I see I've got two or three more weeks left and there ain't no more money. So because of the fear of worrying about not having work, I've signed a job, sold a job to have this work. But guess what? Now I'm not sitting at home. I'm working for free for the next three weeks because I let my emotions make a decision. But this is what I discovered, not because I'm so smart, but because God walked me through the process. What I discovered was is God wants to let me know what's going on. And so he'll give me these little red flags. Say, oh, don't do this. Don't take that. Something else is coming along better. Do I get it right every time? No. Sometimes my feelings still, yeah. Sometimes it's like, whoo, I'm going to make so much money on this job. It's going to be so awesome. And there'll be something on the inside. It's like, uh. I've learned. Be careful. Be careful. You better cover yourself on this one. You better make sure. So that I know. Because God knows what's going to happen. Now that's one example from out of my life. But it happens in all kinds of things. I've had situations where it's like, I've got to get to work by such and such a time. I've got to leave and, and something will happen at home. You know, I have to go, for just about every job I work on, I have to go north on 270 during a rush hour. It's terrible. And I'm like, i got to get out of here. i got to get moving. I'm going to get caught in that traffic. I don't want to sit in traffic for an hour. i got to get moving. And all this stuff will be going on, and it's like, oh, my goodness, I'm never going to get out of here. I'll be complaining and whining, and i got to keep going. 
Come to find out there was an accident and it was going to be just fine. Maybe I avoided the accident. What if I'd have been stuck in it? See what I'm saying? You guys, I've talked about this so many times about the different examples where God tries to communicate with us. You guys, a relationship with God is not easy. Because you can't see Him. I'll say, for the most part, you can't see Him. And for the most part, you can't hear Him. You can sense things. Sometimes it's easier to hear Him than other times. Sometimes it's easier to see Him than other times. Honestly, a lot of times... I look back and I say, oh, yeah, that was God saving me. Yeah, that was God. Oh, yeah, that was God. That was God taking care of this. That was God taking care of that. I'm just walking in faith and God's taking care of it. God's working in my life. And that's how I know that this relationship is happening. But when you can't see him and you can't hear him audibly, it's hard. When Pam and I first got married, we went out for how long? Like six months before I left to go in the army. I left to go in the army. Then we got married while I was in the army. The idea that when you're married in the army, you get more money. Well, the idea was, is listen, I'm going to come home on leave. We'll get married, get that marriage certificate. Then I'll go back. I'll get the, month, the paperwork started. And so I'll get a couple extra $100 a month. And be socking that away. And then I'll come back in June and four months later. And we'll have this ceremony. And it'll be paid for. Right? Great plan, right? Well, I went home and got married, but I never came back in June. I came back and got her, but we never did the ceremony. 25 years later. Yeah, we did 25 years later. But this was the thing. While I was gone, we didn't really know each other. We'd only known each other for four months. And I left. And over the next year, the only way we got to know each other, I would come home occasionally and spend a couple of days. But we would talk on the phone. That was back in the day, talk on a pay phone. Once a week we would talk on a pay phone. I'd get all my quarters and go down to the bowling alley on post, on base. <laughs> And there was two payphones out there. Me and my buddy John would go down there, and he would get on one, and I'd get on the other, and we'd talk to our ladies back home. And I would write letters and send them in the mail, not email. Snail mail. Snail mail back in the day. <laughs> and I would send Pam letters. And that's how we communicated and how we built our relationship. It was hard, but I could hear her when I called her. How do you have a relationship with God? Because walking in his kingdom is living in the garden, is being in a relationship with God. That's what it's all about. God didn't save us so that when we die, we go to heaven. God saved us so that we can be in a relationship with him right here and right now. Dwelling in his kingdom. You know, if that's the case, why isn't everybody doing that? Well, I'm going to tell you. Luke chapter 8. Jesus is talking to this great multitude that's out there. There's this multitude that has come. And Jesus stands up. And he says, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they'd come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. This is in the New King James Version. A sower went out to sow his seed. 
And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rocks, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground and sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. And when he said these things, he cried, He who has an ear, let him hear. And so you say, what does that mean? And then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they will not hear. Because, see, he hadn't died on the cross yet and established his kingdom. So he's laying a foundation for his disciples. But the rest of them, they ain't going to get it. Because he ain't, it ain't happened yet. But so he says, now the parable is this. This is the mysteries of the kingdom of God. The parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. Lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But these have no root. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out. And they are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life. And bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground, those who having the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. That's the mystery of the kingdom. It's not very mysterious, is it? He just explained it. That's the benefit of being here now. After he's established his kingdom. He left a record for us that we would understand. And so what does that say? It says that there's some people who hear this and because they, don't, they just want to live their lives the way they want to live it. They don't want to hear it. And so the seed doesn't, nothing happens. They hear the message of the kingdom and nothing happens. Then there's some who are very surface and shallow. And so they hear it. Sounds great. Oh yeah, I'd like some of that. But then when things begin to happen, the root dries up. There's some who get distracted by things going on in their lives. And so they can't dwell in the kingdom because they're too caught up in their mind, their will, and their emotions to dwell in the spirit realm. But then there's some. I want to be the, the good ground, right? But now, let me say this. What that relationship actually looks like in your life is going to be different than it looks like in my life. For some people, you know, you're going to hear all kinds of things of people talking about what it means to have a relationship with God. Some would say, well, you've got to read the Bible for 45 minutes a day. You go to church every time the door opens and you've got to pray for an hour and probably worship for about this long and all of this. You've got to do all of this stuff. And you know what? Maybe that's great for them. Maybe that's how they build the relationship. It ain't me. Other people will tell you that, well, you got to do this and this and this. 
And that's how you have a relationship with God. Well, that's true for them. But that doesn't mean it's true for you. I spent a lot of time talking to God. You know, I told you I have to go north on 270. Me and God spent a lot of time talking in traffic. I am blessed in that God. I work by myself. I put in my earbuds and I can worship God all day long. It's wonderful. Hasn't always been that way. But that's mine. But this is the thing. What works today to build your relationship will not work in a month. What works in a month will not work in six months. What works in six months will not work in a year. Why? Well, because God made it that way. And it's because we should be growing continuously. And so the relationship changes, just like mine and Pam's relationship changes on an ongoing basis. The relationship I have with my children changes continuously. As they grow and as I grow, their relationship changes. And it should be evolving. Because if our relationship with God stays the same and we get into the routine of, I'm going to get up in the morning at 5 o'clock and I'm going to read the Bible for 45 minutes and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this, I guarantee you, you're going to be stuck in religion before too long if you see that as your relationship Amen. with God. You're just going to be stuck. I know people that read, that have a devotional and they read one chapter a day, which could take just a few minutes. I know people that just do a devotional on, the, on their phone, on version. And they just read that every couple of days. You guys, I'm just being honest. I don't read the Bible every day. I know that just flies in the face of what some people would say is what a healthy Christian should do. And me saying that may give people permission to do whatever. That's not my deal. That's between you and God. If you try and build your relationship with God based on what I do, you're going to have problems. It's not going to work. You need to find out what works for you. And so how do we do that? By building a relationship. And this is how we build a relationship. We face those choices day in and day out. Everything we do throughout the day is choices. It's like, should I go right or should I go left? Following your peace. Should I go right or should I go left or should I go straight? Should I stop? And you say, yeah, but Bob, I can't live like that. I can't do that. I can't live that way. Well, you guys, I don't consciously think all day, okay, God, should I nail this board down or should I go cut this through or whatever like that? It's not like that. It's just knowing with my peace. There are things that I know I should do. There are things that I should do next. And so this is what it is. Then I come to choices. God, should I go out and have a beer? No, I don't have those choices anymore. I'm giving this as an example. I don't want to have a beer. God, should I have a beer? I ask myself, will this draw me closer to God or push me away? God knows exactly what's going on. He knows what the future holds. Our job is to live in the moment and follow that peace within us. So our job is to follow the peace of God, not the peace of Bob. The peace of God in us. And the only way to be able to follow that is through experiencing. Just like mine and Pam's relationship grew over time. She knows me because of time. It's that whole thing of talking to God and doing the next right thing. Following your peace. Learning. Experiencing Him as He guides you and directs you. And guess what? You'll know when you're drifting away. And so you say, God, will this draw me closer to you or push me farther away? 
you know what? Sometimes we get in denial and we say, oh yeah, this is, gonna, this is definitely going to make me closer with God. This is definitely going to make me closer. And then a month goes by and we are, we've stopped talking to God, you know. We don't really read the Bible anymore. We're not, you know, worship is just like, yeah, I don't care if I worship or whatever. And so then we stop and we suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I haven't prayed in three days. Well, then you can look back. Well, what was I doing when, I, when all of this started? When I said, God, will this draw me closer to you or push me farther away? Well, then we can figure that out. And after a few times of that, we begin to know, okay, I can't do that. That won't draw me closer. But listen, it's not easy. It's not easy to do that. And so, especially when we come out of substance abuse, codependent relationships, when we're abuse survivors, you guys know I, you know, I said I'd struggled with substance abuse. I struggled with PTSD. I've struggled with depression. I've struggled with buying too many power tools when I shouldn't have been buying power tools. That's a real struggle. That is a real struggle, right? It is. I can afford it. <laughs> this is going to make this job so it's much easier. It's going to save me hours. Yeah, hours. Hours. But so we go through those things and it's hard when we come out of those things because our soul, our mind, our will, and our emotions has learned the way of doing life. And to come out of that is hard. It takes people around us. It takes God. It takes experience. It takes a lot of things to do that. And that's what we're doing now. That process of coming out of that is called sanctification, maybe discipleship. This is the third step. Turning our will and our lives over the care of God is the third step. But it's really where the journey begins. Because we say, God, I've been doing this on my own for so long. And I see now that I've kind of made a mess of things. Or, God, my life is not fulfilling. I'm just surviving life. I'm not thriving. I'm not where I want to be. I know there's so much more to life than this. God, I need you to come into me and help me and guide me through life. I need you to guide me and give me direction on how to live and how to follow you, how to be sensitive to your leading and guiding. Whatever words work for you. You know the words. There's no formula. It's surrendering your life. And you come to that point, that surrender is a one-time decision that has to be made every day. What do I mean by that? I made a decision 33, almost 34 years ago. God, I don't care what you have to do. I can't go back. I have to go forward. And that's what started me on my journey. But I've had several times in my life where I've said, God, I realize that I'm stuck and I'm not moving forward. And I need you to do whatever you need to do to keep me moving forward. And tomorrow, when I don't feel like it and I want to take this back, I'm giving you, you permission now when I don't want to, to do whatever you need to do. To keep me moving forward. I've had several points in that in my life. Thanks for listening. 
please comment and subscribe for upcoming podcasts. To order your copy of My Real Life, go to the Take Action page at our website, reallifeministries-stl.com, or go to Real Life Ministries STL on Facebook.